Earners, what's up? Look, I want to give y'all a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. You understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click, absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS. It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. Earners, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy to use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex, simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k, and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, the real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. 
I used it. You should go over here and start using it now. The time has come, ladies and gentlemen. InvestFest, that's right. That's right. InvestFest 2023 is here. August 25th, 26th, and 27th in Atlanta, Georgia. We are taking it to a new level. Bigger than ever. This year, we're going to do 20,000 people in Atlanta, Georgia. I want you to do yourself a favor. Head over to investfest.com right now. We will have activations from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, three days, musical performances, billionaires. Everything is gonna be a completely life-changing experience. Vendor Marketplace, Food Truck Village, you know how we do. Don't wait, don't hesitate, head over now. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL, we back home. Yes. In the lab, this is an interview that we've been trying to actually do for a while. So, uh, if you follow us, you know that we um, are foodies. We frequent the restaurants a lot. And uh, the one, number one restaurant one more in, than the in New York that we always go to all the time. I just had my birthday dinner there, actually. Yeah. Brooklyn Chop House. Yes. Uh-huh. So, Brooklyn Chop House, the first location was, was downtown Manhattan by the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, Battery Park. Yeah, uh, uh, it's actually Fide Eye, so it's across the street from um, Pace University, and um, right by the right at the mouth of the Brooklyn Bridge. Got you. So we call that yeah. financial district Fide Eye for short. Financial yeah. district. That that was the first location, and then uh, once they opened a second location in Times Square. Yeah. And that's the one that we've been turning up a lot, um, all the time. I've been in there every week, pretty much. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah. <laughs> good looking, good looking. So, no problem. One of the owners of Brooklyn Chop House is Don Poole. So I forgot who was the first person to introduce us. I'm not sure. I think Matt was mentioned trying to connect us like years yeah. ago. Um, but then we had Matt. And then yeah. over the last six months, we've actually been running to each other Everywhere. Everywhere. You've been part Probably of the, about, the, the tour. Yeah, yeah, I've been on tour with you guys. <laughs> you guys went a little hard, go a little harder than me, but you know, but I've seen you guys maybe, I don't know, eight, ten times yeah. in the last, I don't know, over the, whether it's weekends, weekdays, events, you know, um, important, you know, important events, you know, in, uh, industry, fashion, film. I've seen you guys, I don't know, 10 times in the last, like, <laughs> 12 weeks. Yeah, man, Minimum. everywhere. Minimum. From Dubai to uh, yeah. Super Bowl. Miami. Miami. Yeah, Miami, everywhere. Dubai, yeah, Super Bowl. <laughs> We've been all over the world together. Shit. LA, Grammys. Uh, yeah, the Grammys, that's a fact. Impromptu. That's a fact. Meeting the other day, I even know you guys was yeah. Mary J. Blige. Shout out to 4040 Angie. Shout out to Mary J. Blige and Angie Martinez. Yeah. Congrats, Mary, on your new show. Yes, Congrats. yes, yes. So this is going to be a dope episode because we're not only going to talk about his journey as being a restaurateur, but he's also a music man as well. That's actually how he got his start. Mm-hmm. And both of those albums are people that he actually played an intricate role in from Mary J. Blige to Notorious B.I.G. Fox Book. Yeah, Fox yeah. Boogie. We got to get that Bugs. Fox, Fox Boogie album. The El Nana <laughs> yeah, album. The El LP is on the way. I'm going to put okay. it next to Hardcore just because of okay. cultural impact. Oh, yeah, yeah. got to do Both it. of them. Side and, by side. And it's Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Both cultural importance and then both Brooklyn. There you go. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. So this is going to be a dope episode. We're going to go through his whole journey. We're going to talk about the ups and downs, entrepreneurship, the music business, restaurant business, and everything. But before we start, thank you for joining us, bro. Appreciate it. Oh, man. Thank you for having me, man. I've been trying to connect with you guys as well. And I'm, you know, proud of what you guys have been doing and the, the message and, you know, everything, you know, that you guys have been um, actually integral in trying to educate people on Again, you know, the slogan, assets over liability. So, 
I think, you know, hopefully the message is resonating out there in the community where it needs to resonate at. That's a fact. Thank you. And you're, and you're part of the Sky Dweller Club. So. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Love, <laughs> yeah. You know, the Rose Gold Edition. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. That's my thing. <laughs> So asset again. Asset. That's a fact. fact. Another fact. That's a fact. So let's get into this. So, all right. Where does it start for you? Because I know it starts a long time ago. Absolutely. Um, So let's talk about the start. Let's talk about the music and and how you got going. Yeah. So um, uh, my passion's always been music. Um, Just as a a kid, you know, I had all these images, all of the, you know, like from Write On Magazine. I had all those guys on my wall and, you know. I used to take piano lessons as a kid. I hated it, but my my parents forced me to do it. And you know what? It ended up working out in a weird way later on in life because, you know, I had an ear for music. And, you know, I got my shot by, you know, actually going on the road with the Notorious B.I.G., Biggie. And prior to that, you know, I went to Howard University um, for a little bit. And um, I met um, Puffy, you know, Harve Pierre. You know, my good friend Mark Pitts, um, Derek Angeletti, they were all down there. You know, didn't know that, you know, music business was going to be their future. They were, you know, at Howard studying, you know, uh, taking up business and whatever, you know, they were doing. But just so happened that um, Puff, you know, kind of took, like, left and was interning, got an internship job. Um, And I'm going to talk about that later on, how important that was. But he took it, he got an internship job at Uptown. And then he became cool with, like, Heavy D. Um, He was cool with, like, Dougie Fresh and a lot of those guys. And when it came time for homecoming, he would bring Heavy D down. And then, you know, he he always, like, try to learn the game. And then he became an A&R. And um, he started working with um, Heavy D as an A&R. Well, Uptown as an A&R. So he was producing um, A&R and Heavy D, right? And then, you know, he got his shots of, you know, A&R Jodeci, Obviously, Mary J. Blige and Father MC and a couple other people. So, you know, um, it was inspiring to see him go from intern to A&R to vice president A&R to then, you know, obviously, um, you know, they had a conflict and then, you know, he got fired from his job. Then he went and started his own label. So that whole entrepreneurial, he, he then took his entrepreneurial journey. So, you know, it inspired me. So to answer your question, how I got my start was really once... Um, my friend Mark started to manage Biggie. I kind of said, you know what? I want to learn from that same perspective. I want to get on the road. You ain't got to pay me nothing. I just want to learn the game and understand the game from a management perspective. And that's how I became part of his, you know, his management team. And I was on the road with him. And then we hit it off and became good friends. What year was that? That was 1994. So you so, was like an understudy yeah, for, yeah. for Biggie's management. Correct. Yeah, so correct. Mark that's Pitts, how I learned, learned the Mark game. Mark has Big. Later he gets Usher. No, he had Biggie. He had Faith. He had a he had a group called Changing Faces. Yes, 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 yes. And um, that was the the core of his management team. And then he went on later on from there to you know do A and R and you know obviously you know work with Usher and Chris Brown okay, and, okay, okay. and so on and so forth and you know you know make historic moves. So, um, but the first his first um, interest in the game was you know. Big, he was working with Puff and then Biggie asked him to manage him. And then through that, I got my entrance into, you know, working on management. And then I was always, you know, doing the entrepreneur thing. So I opened up a barbershop in Brooklyn called Moods. 
So it was uh, on Washington Avenue, not too far from where Biggie grew up. So they would come through, you know, stop by, and everybody in the neighborhood was like, oh, shoot, you know, you know, Biggie, da-da-da. So then a friend of mine, um, his name is Anton, and his brother Gavin, they had a little <laughs> sister called Inga, and they used to get their hair cut there. So it was like, hey, my sister, her name... Um, you know, she was signed to Capitol Records, but it didn't work out through, you know, another situation. It was like, hey, you know, I want to introduce you. Maybe you guys could, you know, work together. I met her. We hit it off. You know, I started, you know, shot, going around and um, doing demos. So I went to this kid, DR Period. He's um, he was a producer in Brooklyn who produced like Smoother Hustler and Trigger the Gambler. Mm. Yeah, and then I, um, Clark Kent, he helped me with a, a lot of music. And a few other people. So I leaned on all the relationships I knew and everyone I knew through Big. Um, and we started, you know, putting a demo together. And then um, we got a big break. So that was my first client on my own, right? Mm -hmm. So no, no, um, we had no deal. So we got our big break by um, getting on LL's album on a record called... Um, I shot you. Mm -hmm. So that record featured Keith Murray, Prodigy, Prodigy, Fat Joe, and LL. And there was one more spot. I think they was trying to get another artist there. The artist didn't show up or whatever. So um, Trackmasters, who was cool with um, Anton, said, um, "Hey, um, we we heard you know you putting your demo together, and, and then we started hitting mixtapes too, right? We started doing like clue tapes, and we was doing the groundwork, right? So next thing." Um, he, they call us. We went in the studio. We laid the sixteen, and then um, they played it for L. L said, "Bet, leave it on there. That, that actually sounds dope." And she had this like unique kind of deep tone voice. There was like you know kind of like at that moment they were saying that she sounded like Shaheen from Wu Tang, mm -hmm. but the you know, she had a she had her own style. And, you know, we came with a, a little you know a different, um, ed more edgier lyrics. Um, a little different than what was out there before. Yeah. And that's how, you know, and then once that hit, um, it was a bidding war, an unbelievable bidding war. We ended up going with Def Jam. Um, Hold on, can we stop was, right there? Yeah. Because this is interesting, right? I never heard this story, right? So Inga obviously becomes, it's Foxy Brown. Right. She's from Brooklyn. Yes. But she she does the song with LL. Yep. She jumps on at the, the uh, Ain't No with yep. Jay. Yep, that's Brooklyn. after. But she runs with the Queens crew with yeah. Nas. So, that's, that's so, after. Unique. so, so like, how, unique. How, what happened here? Okay, so it was a unique dynamic. I, I, that, that was actually a great question because <laughs> she was part of different crews. So um, after the, the I Shot You record, um, Jay-Z calls me, right? He's like, you know, I'm putting out this independent joint through um, Priority and something. It was like a, a mix of a couple of different um, labels. Um and I heard your girl, I want to put on this record. So I meet him, true story. And, and I, I we talked about it the last time I seen him at Fort, no, I actually saw him in LA when, when uh, we was at that- um, Rock Nation. Oh, the Rock Nation Rock, Rock. Yeah, yeah. So he, he said, um, um, no, he said, yeah, I want to put her on there. I was, he was like, what's it going to take? I was like, ah, you know, we're going to work it out. He's like, all right, I'm going to bring her back, right? Because, you know, we were sizzling, doing a couple of things. So we end up getting- <laughs> Twelve fifty, I remember the number, right? He came with twelve hundred fifty dollars. Twelve hundred fifty dollars. Twelve hundred fifty dollars. Oh, okay. I thought it was twelve thousand. No, 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 no. Twelve hundred fifty dollars. This is early. This is early nineties. Okay. Big and we, we early. We, we early, right? 
So I meet him at Junior's. He pulled up in the GS um, Lexus. I had a Lexus too. So we met. Um, we said, yo, we're going to do it at D&D Studios. We're going to knock the um, knock this verse out um, in about a, another week. So this is the beat. So I gave it a beat. Um, you know, she started, you know, writing her rhymes. And, that, and that's how she ended up getting on Ain't No. So that's all he paid was twelve thousand. Twelve hundred. I mean twelve hundred. Twelve hundred fifty dollars. That's it. That's right. It. I mean he was independent. He was from okay. Brooklyn. So you just, I, we had like people a, in common. So you know was, we just and she was she was she was hot. coming up. She, yeah, but she wasn't. She's not who an she artist. Was yeah. She wasn't right. She wasn't there yet. We had this one feature, but we were like buzzing in the streets. Yeah. Then the same thing happened. We get a call from um, uh, Kenny Smooth, who's from up this this, this way. He had um he had a label through um a situation I think it was through um, Def Jam, and he asked us to jump on this record called Touch Me Tease Me. Yeah. Right. Like I got that's this call what, next week. That's the kid from Mount Vernon. Uh, right. Case. 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 Yeah. case. So um, marry on that too. Correct. <laughs> so th- this is how you know I this is when I really met Mary, and then um, that record started to blow up. Right. And then um, because it was on Def Jam, they added that to the Nutty Professor soundtrack. Right, yep. And then it was like, who's this Jay-Z guy? You know, I want to meet him. So I'm the one who introduced Jay-Z and Dame Dash to Leo. Oh. Right? So once I introduced them to Leo, they went and, you know, Leo wanted to kind of take the record. He was like, yo, this record out here has um, Foxy Brown on it, and it wasn't cleared. Ain't, right? ain't no? Ain't no. It wasn't clear. It's was like, we need to clear it. Mm. So, you know, they was going back and forth a little bit, and then what ended up happening is we all had a meeting, and then they agreed to, you know, work work it out financially, um, clear the record for Jay's album, and also add the record to the Nutty Professor soundtrack simultaneously, which worked to both of their advantages. Yeah. Um. So then they end up, after that, the success of that record and that, um, soundtrack and then Jay dropping the album and becoming successful on his own. They end up working out a deal to do a joint venture with yeah. Def Jam and Rockefeller. That's 96. Because Case, when he dropped that record, it's crazy. He actually came to our high school performing. Oh, wow. And I, I was like, I was sick. I didn't go to school that day. <laughs> <laughs> just, they probably like, yo, Case did the record. I'm like, because um, it's not CL, CL and Aaron. They were doing wise projects and that was part of it. They brought them to the school. That was crazy. Yeah, so so what ended up happening is after he got the um after he got the deal, um no, his album came out in ninety six, yep. right? His second album was on Def Jam. So first album ninety six independent, and then we came out. But with my 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 artist, we came out ninety six in November. So so you're managing Foxy for Foxy, time. Solely. You're her you're her sole manager. Sole manager. All right. So my obviously her career starts to take off. And now that leads to other clients. Where do you start working with Mary? So after, so 96, I started working with Foxy. The album blew up. So we did that album. Then we did a, another album, China Doll. Hmm. Then that album blows up. That goes number one. That's like 99. And then I decided to um, go into, um, I got a call that they were looking for executive vice president of A&R. So I decided to go that direction and do more of the A&R, more my passion of making music. Because even though I was managing, you know, I would contribute to records here and there, ideas, you know, concepts. And I decided to go into um, become the executive vice president of the A&R for MCA Records. And um, they also gave me a label deal for my, my company. My artists didn't blow up, but, you know, 
I, I took a shot at it. And also as part of that, part of that, um, the first, their, their, their biggest artist on the label was Mary J. Blige. So they said, you know what, you have a, you know, you have a history of working with, you know, successful artists and, you know, we 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 like you to work with us. So that, then, you know, we, we got together at that point and I worked on our No More Drama album. So, okay. So the role of a manager, let's go yeah. through this. Mm -hmm. What's the responsibilities day to day for a manager, for a musician? Just one other question that you, you, um, you, you was talking about Nas. You want to get back to oh, yeah, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not skip the Nas part. Yeah, Okay. The Nas. Okay, okay let's get to so, that. So, Foxy, she's running right, with the firm. Right, so, 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 right. So, she got the, the Jay-Z um, record out. Um, she's working on her album. And then she always had, um, she loved Nas from the beginning for when he dropped his album. Just 92. As, as a fan. As a fan, right? So, um, Trackmasters, right? And Steve Stout was working with Nas. So Steve was managing Nas and Trackmasters was producing Nas. So Trackmasters is the one that gave us our opportunity to get on an LL record, right? So um, naturally, we're all, you know, working and developing. And then Trackmasters also executive producing the first album as well. So, you know, collectively, we're all working together. Her and Nas and AZ get together um, and Carmega. And to say, you know what? We're gonna start this thing called a firm. We're gonna start our own, you know, power group. Individually, they were artists separately, so mm -hmm. it was, made it kind of cool. They didn't come together as a group first. Yeah. Nas was Nas, Foxy was getting hot, Az was Az, and they came together to form this group, the um, the firm. And then, you know, they started working on records. So, affirmative, affirmative action was the first record that they Ooh. did together on Nas album. It was written. Yeah, and she was, you know, I helped her with that verse too. By the way, what? <laughs> yeah. Did you? Yeah. You wrote some of no, it? Well, I helped her with it. She helped. Yeah. I'm not going to take her credit away. I'll, I'll, she had Rhyme of the Month and yeah. the Source for that. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. So, congrats. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we collaborated. Let's uh -huh. that way. So, um, on that, on that, um, so after that, they um, end up doing a deal with um, Trackmasters and um, Aftermath. Aftermath, right? Trace. End up um, getting together and do a collaboration. Then I, I was able to help, like, Co-executive produced that album with you know Trackmaster. Firm Steve, album, the, yeah, the Firm album. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dope. So, Dope. so that was you know. What's your favorite song on the Firm album? I think it might be Firm Biz. Firm Biz, really? Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's, uh, that, uh, that was the lead. That was the lead yeah, single. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think that should have been. Bone there. Tap, I think, is Bone definitely up there. Gangster. I was gonna say. I like the song with Nori too. That's crazy. I don't know if you know that. And and Nori, like, Nori goes on to being like the NOI. We spoke about Nori. Nori said that that song actually saved his life. Wow, we spoke about that on Drink Chance because he was saying oh, that he crazy. was he was down and out, and it was after the war report came out, and Capone was locked up, and he yep. was like he was back in the hood, he ain't had no money, he didn't have any direction, and Jungle was like, yo, you wanted to get on this record? He was like, he flew to Miami, he did the record, and uh, I think it was originally supposed to be for Nature's album or something, right? And then he was like, and it landed on the Firm album, and then he was like, his solo career just took off after that. That's dope, man. That's dope. That's yeah. a great story. I gotta talk about that when I go go, go to Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta shout, talk about that one. Shout out to Nori, yeah, man. Shout out to Nori, bro. Very nostalgic to our childhood, these conversations. So, yeah. all right, so the manager, right? Because we always right. say about the role of a manager. I personally didn't know how important, because I was always one of those people like, no need for a manager. You could just do it yourself until we actually were in a position where we needed a manager. And then I saw how much work that entails oh. and how it just can bog you down. 
and I don't think people fully realize it until they actually need it. So yeah. what's what, what was the role? So, what's the role of a manager? So the most important thing, especially from an artist manager manager's perspective, is representation, right? You don't want to negotiate your own all of your own deals, right? So you have a manager, you have an agent. If you know you need an agent to secure bookings that has other um, buyers, you know, in their database to secure bookings. And obviously the entertainment lawyer, you know, you have the role manager, but the key, the the the, the nucleus of it is the manager because they deal with all of those different positions as well as the stylist, as well as the label, as well as the, um, the publishing company, as well as the publicist if you have one. So that's the nucleus of all, you know, working with, the artist to make sure that all the functions that an artist needs um, are, are, are done and done correctly and done on time and schedule and make sure that they have everything they need to be successful because that's the last thing an artist wants to worry about all of those other things. So a manager is key to putting, you know, negotiating deals, um, you know, doing day to day, you know, back, back, back in the days, you know, when you're bigger, you you have a management company and you have a day-to-day manager. Back in the days, we were everything. We were the manager, the day-to-day, the role manager. We did it all in the beginning because you got to work your way up to build your organization to have, you know, that foundation. So as you're growing, right, the records are, are blowing up. Your artists are blowing up. You have the label. Obviously, you said your artists didn't blow like you thought, but you still... Mm-hmm. Getting money at this time, right, right. Are you continuing the entrepreneurial journey? Because I, I feel like the barbershop happens, but then at some point, franchising happens. Right. What what, what period is this? I know it starts at Papa so, John's something like that, right? Right. So bar- barbershop I had when I was um, rocking with Big earlier on before I, before I had Foxy, and then when I had Foxy, I sold the barbershop because I then you know we then started getting some success, and she became you know a, you know a world you know worldwide artist. So at that point, I said, you know what, I want to, you know, kind of, you know, start my own label. So the first, my first um, um, entrepreneurial, you know, attempt was doing my own label, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and then doing my own, well, actually doing my own management company and label. So I also discovered Shine. Mm -hmm. So I found Shine in the midst of, right before I I did the deal with um, MCA, I found Shine, you know, he he was in a barbershop. Um, my boy um, Manny and, a, and another guy, Austin, brought him to me. It was like, you know, I know you, you know, you got Foxy, you know, like this kid, we think he's dope. So he spit for me for like two hours. I was like, all right, we're going to figure this out. <laughs> let's, go, let's, go to, let's go to, let's go to, um, and then, did you mention Matt early on? Um, you said Matt was the one that tried to hook us up? Oh, a different, a different man. Oh, different man. Okay, so there was a, there was, there was a, a an attorney that Matt, again, Matt, Middleton? Matt Middleton was down at. So I'm um, at the Rock Nation brunch. Yeah. yeah, there was down at um Howard, and then he was he was actually doing some um um I think assistant um DA work, and then I said um I got a client, I know, I know you could do this that needs a manager, so I brought Shine to Matt, right? Matt represent him. Oh, I already had a um. An attorney, and then we end up doing the deal. We end up signing the deal in the back of my car. So, but prior to that, <laughs> me signing him, right? So once I found him, um, he started to move around. He started to do a few things. So he actually bumped into Jay Z, and gave Jay Z a, a, a demo. A, a demo. 
Jay listened to it, said, it's all right. And he was like, it's all right. And he took back the demo. Like, it's the, <laughs> it's the, like the weirdest thing. They spoke about this too, right? I'm like, yo, why you take back your demo from Jay? Nah, he, you know, you don't think that, that, I'm, that, that I'm it. So it was, it was, that was an interesting um, story. And then along the way, a few other, um, so a, a, as I have him sign, um, I have a meeting with Diddy. Diddy falls in, in love with it. And then Def Jam falls in love with it. And then, so it turned into another bit of war. war. Then we end up doing, I end up doing a deal with did with Puff, with Bad Boy, where he went to Bad Boy. And then, you know, I got my deal separate um, from Bad Boy, like, you know, override points and stuff like that. So he went directly there and I kind of, it's almost like I, I, he was signed to me, but I, I, I kind of like released him to Puff. Yeah, I feel like this this Howard ninety one through ninety three. There needs to be a documentary on the people who came out. Of that. We, we spoke. We spoke to Sean. This, this you know. Incredible. You know what's a, it's a good story with this Matt Middleton thing that I'll just kind of interject. So Matt Middleton. Before I did this, I was a financial advisor mm -hmm. for twelve years. And when I was first starting as a financial advisor, I used to get like all of these publications, Black Enterprise, all these like any black like business publication I would get. And you know, they always have the list right. list of top fifty business accountants top 50 lawyers, top 50, whatever. So he was on a list. So I, I emailed every single person on the list. I didn't know any of them. Right. I just emailed them like, hey, I'm a financial advisor, you know, would love to, you know, come and just, you know, have a meeting with you if you're interested. And he actually was one of the few people that responded. He's like, yeah, hey, come up. So I met him in his office, like a cold call. I didn't know who he was, he didn't know who I was. And we, we sat and we had a meeting. And um, he was telling me, I think at the time he was representing Cameron. Right. And a few right. other people we had like clients. And um he was the president of this organization called Beesler, uh black entertainment lawyer something. Um and we and so it was crazy because fast forward almost fifteen years later, I see him at the Rock Nation brunch and he's like, Yo, I'm like, remember that time? He's like, Yeah, that was crazy. Like, you know. But I say that to say, you never know. You never know. You never know who's who's who and I and I um I like the fact that he answered though that yeah, you, you yeah. Know, I, li I like that. That's that that means that means a lot. Sometimes I would do that a lot. I couldn't do it to everyone. Yeah, but I would do it a lot, and I met a few people later on in life. Like, yeah. oh wow, yeah. they, they say thank you for for um you know taking my call and you know inspiring me. So you never know who you're gonna talk to yeah. along the way. That's why I said even yeah. listen to this story right now, like that HPCU connection, right? Obviously the big manager. Yep, you met at Howard. You know, yep, Matt. Yep. Howard. Yep. You brought Sean to Puff. Howard. Yep, it's just. I mean, I don't know how many guys graduated from it, but I know that mm -hmm. the guys in the early 90s that were there, mm -hmm. they obviously went in different aspects of their careers, but everybody, when they needed somebody, they looked to those people to, all right. Yeah, look to that network. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 I, and not only that, I thought that um, Matt could actually handle a bit, like handle the client, right. like, and, and, and which he did. And he ended up, um, I, I believe that was his first client. And then from there, you know, he had endless clients and, you know, doing lots of different things so that was good and shout out to you mentioned cameron shout out to cameron cameron you know just recently spoke about me giving him his first check so mm -hmm. that's another one i identified and i tried to sign but um um he ended up going with um Un entertainment because yeah. they got yeah, i got a big bag from sony my bag was still little <laughs> so it was him I and could, charlie baltimore yep yep <laughs> but before that i was trying to sign him and then um but I had gave him a check for, you know, doing a collaboration on, um, I ended up signing um, Foxy's brother, um, Gavin, his Pre name was Pretty, Pretty Boy, Boy. Yeah. and we did a deal at Sony, and 
he ended up doing, you know, some collaboration and some writing on the album for me. So I gave him a check before he even got signed. So that was his first check. He got and Fab as well. So I identified Fab even before, like he was like buzzing on mixtapes with Clue. And I also gave him a check to come and collab with my artists like early on. But collab. I just can't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keyword. <laughs> yeah, collab. So, you know. That's dope. Nope. Yeah. Nope. For the right price, I can even make your shit tighter. So, right. so, right. Right. so the music. Yeah. So, so you rocking and rolling the music business, but at some point, the music business starts to die. I guess when when iTunes comes out, it's more Napster and Napster. you know downloading and you know file streaming, sharing and streaming, and, yeah. and just you know just ability to like like you know like how the mixtapes was a source of promotion and marketing, and you leaked what you wanted to the mixtapes or whatever. But now you know. All entire albums were getting leaked and emailed and you know it was that time where you could you know share files and then all of a sudden people got the bootleg of different albums so it was hurting the music industry so that was in like 2003 after i had been um with um mca from 99 to 2003 i decided and i had some success with um with working with mary and you know we gained a a, a great working relationship and you know shout out to her i still work with her today um so it, it that was a that was another you know relationship that you know i garnered from you know the music business and the success of us having you know her, her album being successful so then i decided to diversify and go into franchising so it was something that you know I thought made sense because they had proven systems. And if I was going to invest my money, I wanted to invest it in something that had a system instead of restaurants specifically, mm. because restaurants are are risky. Um, and you know, there's a it's a it's a high risk investment. So you know, seventy sixty to seven percent fail in the first you know year to eighteen months, and then another eighty percent don't even make it to three years. So um, it's a definitely a high risk. So I don't. I don't know why I like to take on the most riskiest of things, but <laughs> um, I end up um, doing franchising. So I got into Papa John's Pizza, did a development, sixteen store development deal um, for New York City. Um, me and a partner of mine who introduced me to the opportunity, my boy Kev, and then we end up doing seven out of them, and then sold them all. Then he went on to do another franchise, and then I went on to um, get a. Um, a franchise deal, a development deal with um, IHOP. So for, for the development deal, how does this work? They, you tell, you go to the company and say, this is my idea to create more stores inside of, like, let's say the, the borough of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Do they look at your plans? They okay? They say yes or no? How does this work? So another great question. So um, not exactly. So they have territories that they think are great, right? So. Uh, when you go sit with them, they, they, they'll they say, if another franchisor doesn't own that development right already, they'll say, well, we have Brooklyn, we have the Bronx, we have White Plains, we have, you know, this part of Jersey that we want to develop. Um, if you have any interest, you know, and you qualify based on having restaurant experience and having, you know, the financial experience, I mean, financial um, wherewithal to do it, which we'll get into mm -hmm. in, in a minute. Um, we 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 would love to have you develop the you know um, we we feel first we feel that 
this amount of restaurants could fit in this territory. So in Brooklyn, we feel like a whole, you know, six stores. You do a, you know, five store, six store deal, and you could, you know, um, have options later, and then you get a certain amount of time to develop each store. Like maybe one, you have to build one every two years, mm -hmm. right? For the next, you do a five store deal, one every two years for ten years, and then you know. But until then, that territory is locked, and you own that development. The, what they call development area. Mm -hmm. You own that development area until you finish your development deal. Nobody oh, can come on there. Nobody can develop there. Gotcha. So unless you default, obviously, and you don't meet your, you know, your, your timeline, um, then it becomes available again. But Is it very cash intensive? Very cash intensive, especially up front, because obviously restaurants and especially full service restaurants like that take, you know, quite some capital to, you know, build out. You know, you're talking seven figures to build a re restaurant of that size, 5,000 square feet, and everything that comes with it, right? So from the soft cost, the the construction, the franchise fees, you know, training, everything that goes with it. So, um, but again, they have proven system. It's a, you know, for me, there was a void, you know, just going into the business side of it, um, why I did it, it was a void in the market, right? I grew up in Brooklyn, and there was only one IHOP in Brooklyn, it's like 3 million people, so I'm like, <laughs> This is not making sense. So as a kid, I would have to go to the suburbs to get like um, Red Lobster and IHOP, and there was there's nothing. There was nothing in the like in the boroughs. There was nothing in Brooklyn. It was crazy to me, right? So I said, you know what? I'm gonna bring this because everyone loves it. Why is it not here? So I always thought, almost thought I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> right because i'm like why isn't it like here? What's, what's the catch right right i'm like <laughs> Somebody you know, knows i was going in the, the to this place in the 70s and it's still one there and the and we're in the you know 2000s right so they had like a 30-year run so you know I, I, we took it on we opened it up and that restaurant became one of the highest grossing restaurants in 2007 of all 1800 ihops because i knew that that was a val that's a value play, right? So by having a value brand in a like in a place like Brooklyn where it's a, like a value market, it, it worked. The the two worked really What part really of Brooklyn well. was it in? Downtown Brooklyn on Livingston Street. It's still there. Still there. I actually moved it across the street. They actually the building the first one I built, they um demoed the building and built another building. So I actually moved it across the street. You still have ownership of it? Yes. Still on it. So all right, so let's get back to this Papa John situation. Why'd you sell the Papa John's? So Papa John's, it was at one point we had a really good performing unit and then we had a couple that weren't performing that well. So me and my partner decided, you know what, we like there was a couple of other um brands that we thought can perform better for the amount of investment that we put in. Mm -hmm. The amount of return we were getting back, we said, you you know what, let's maybe it's a good time. And we and someone you know made an offer to us that was really good. So we said, you know what, this was great. We built out this many. We didn't finish our development um, deal, so we sold the rights plus the remaining rights to develop. Yeah. And then we both decided he went in to do Popeyes, and I went in to do IOP. Yeah, so I'm looking at it from a just from a business standpoint. If I'm doing Papa John's, I know my biggest competitor is Domino's. Right, right. right. But if I do IHOP, what's my biggest competitor? In this market, it wasn't any. But in the rest of the country, there are Plenty, competitors. Right? There's Cracker Barrel, there's Denny's, yeah. there's Perkins. There's different 
in other markets, but in this, this market, market right. I knew I had nobody close. Yeah. There was no one. There was the closest person was ten years away from developing a market, and they still, in my opinion, still couldn't beat the IHOP brand and what you know IHOP meant to families that grew up on it. So, so to, in, inside of the uh, the, the franchise itself, were, were you able to create a uniqueness to the the actual store, or did you yeah, have yeah, to abide? Abide by like, yo, this is the the rule book for how we want our franchise. Some great questions, bro. Oh man. So <laughs> with that said, there is a franchise branded franchise manual. There's what they call standard operating procedures, right? That you got to follow by when you're developing the brand. But because the way they developed earlier on was a standard blue roof, um, kind of freestanding um, IHOPs, which everyone knows when they see it you know whether you're anywhere in the country but now they were doing uh, non-traditional locations which i found which in brooklyn you really can't find the land downtown so you had to do an inline non-traditional so with that said um and and they realized that i had this music um background we tied in a little bit of the artwork was um was a you know was brooklyn inspired so we had like like Brooklyn inspired Brooklyn Bridge, downtown Brooklyn artwork. So we kind of tied the brand to the community in a way. Um, did like some music inspired artwork. Obviously we had the brand's images inside, but they did allow me to do something unique and different. You know, I put at that time flat screens were, had just come out maybe like, like five or six years before. So I had a flat screen TV, I built, um, I built a not a VIP room, but like a meeting room, right inside of this location where people downtown and all of the businesses downtown could do breakfast meetings. Mm. So I did something a little different than what was traditional, and they allowed me to be creative within, you know, the my, my ideas that I had. So that that also worked really well. So how much is it for the licensing fee for a franchise IHOP? So a single unit is $50,000. And if you do a development deal, it's $40,000 per. And when you do a development deal, you pay for the first one, and then you pay for halves of the other ones, and then you pay the other half each time you open the last one. And that's what you did, a development deal? Yeah, I did a development How many deal. did you open? I opened four. All in Brooklyn? All in Brooklyn. They're still all running? All running. Yeah. I own them all. What, what, what parts of Brooklyn? Um, it's in downtown Brooklyn. It's in Flatbush, Brooklyn. It's in um, Con not Coney Island. Coney Island. I had the the the, the, um, the license, and I, and I sub-licensed that, that out to a friend of mine. Um, shout out to him. And then I have Williamsburg, um, Bushwick. Mm. So that's on Flushing Avenue, um, one's on Church Avenue, other one's on Livingston. Was the original deal for four, or what? Did was there more? And you said, I have the capacity to do four. No, the original deal for four, I fulfilled the the agreement, and then I replaced one, as well. So that 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 technically was the fourth one, and I licensed that one. That was the, the like like a fifth one, but the replacement of the first one to this to the newer version mm -hmm. was like so. I actually built. That's actually like building two restaurants. Mm, so when you see the, the success of the four that you, you've done, was expansion part of the, the plan? Like, are we going to other boroughs? Um, I was I was thinking about it, but as I was, you know, got to the end, I thought, you know, um, let's try my own brand. Mm. Let's try something different, <laughs> right? Let me, you know, the natural progression is going into real estate, which 
I'm doing that as well. But before I got there, I decided to try my my own brand. And and this is when Brooklyn Chop House comes into play. Yeah, it's when Brooklyn Chop House, like ten years later, Brooklyn Chop House. Came, well, yeah, ten years later, oh seven, yeah, two thousand eighteen. So I want to talk about Brooklyn Chop House before we get to Brooklyn Chop House, the IHOP. So all of this that you're funding. Are you funding this out of your pocket? Are you getting bank lines of credit? Are you have partners? Like, great question again. So, so initially it was myself and um, a partner. Um, my partner Dave Diamond Costa was my partner. He actually um, passed away, but we started it together. We had an idea. Um, someone brought us. You know, after I got out of um, Papa John's, I'm skipping a part. I actually opened a nightclub called Rain in Brooklyn. Me and Dave. And then we went on to do the 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 first two IHOPs, and um, what we did was yes, we pulled together our resources, and then we had one more option, which is not as available today as it was before. We did like a, an equipment financing loan through through like G, GE, mm-hmm. yeah, like there's a, a GE franchise financial. I don't know if they're still around today, or offer like equipment loan. So. Whatever we didn't, we we used that for the equipment, and then we used our money to build the rest. So prior to Papa John's, prior to IHOP, did you have any experience in the restaurant tour, like game at all, or you, the, is the capital? Let me partner with somebody who has that expertise. Um, no, we just knew. I just knew business, right? So prior to doing Papa John's. I just knew that I wanted to own my own business, okay. right? Um, by having my own management company, by having my own no label imprint i said you know what let me just let me take a shot at it because franchising you can actually go so i went to training to learn how to run the franchise how to make the food how to do food costs how to do you know scheduling labor you know build the restaurant basically they teach you everything in training right and um i already know how to build i used to renovate homes here and there Mm -hmm. and do that so i already knew construction so that that came that part came easy mm. and then you said it was a 10-year span between the ihop and then obviously brooklyn chop house mm-hmm. what role is music in the music industry playing during that 10 years are you still involved yeah i still have my 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 um my relationships um still earners what's going on listen eylu is relaunching revamping retooling that's right we're creating a new educational experience that's more expensive Shari, tell them what we got. Yes, 2023. We got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with MG the Mortgage Guy, access to the home buying blueprint, volume one and volume two. Part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the United States, live interactive teaching, hands-on, not just pre-recorded videos, plus 15 brand new curriculums. The biggest just got bigger. Head over to EYLUniversity.com. That's E-Y-L-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. See you there. Working with Mary on the outside, doing some, you know, deals and, um, you know, opportunities and um, um, appearances. You know, I was handling a lot of that, um, part of her business, like appearances um, with different people around the country, like like when she went on tour and things of that nature. And then um, 
uh, like I said, I opened a nightclub, so I would have a lot of artists come through the nightclub in Brooklyn, so through my relationships, and then that I just kept all the entertainment relationships, and then when I opened Brooklyn Chop House, is really when a lot of, because it's the same thing that I used to do in the music industry. I used to frequent a lot of these restaurants and do my dinners and my meetings, and that's what we did a lot in the, you know, when, when you know, you working, you know, having meetings after you, before you go to the studio or after you leave the label, there's always like, oh, you want to get something to eat? So either the label got the corporate card or you spending the money. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that's how that that went. But um, yeah, the relationships were were important, and you know, just doing good business with people all the way around kind of paid off in the end. So, all right, you you take the steps to open Brooklyn Chop House. Yeah. What's this? What's what's the process to do that. So what happened was Brooklyn Chop House on Nassau Street used to be a Denny's, right? So I got a call from um, the Denny's owner, like, it's not working out, right? This restaurant's on Wall Street. It's not really, you know, performing the way it's supposed to. Um, if you want to turn it into an IHOP, turn it into a you know, the, you know, the landlord is open for you to turn it into an IHOP because we know you got the rights and, you know, there's not a lot of them in Manhattan. This will be perfect for you. Um, the operation, operational, operationally, the vicinity was perfect. It was right over the bridge. I had one downtown. So um, I jumped in the deal and midway through the deal, I said, ah, you know what? This might not be good for IHOP. Um, so if Denny's didn't work, I mean, I have stronger. I don't think I want to, you know, put an eye up here. So, you know, I told the landlord I want to do my own concept. So originally I was going to do um, um, a Caribbean concept there. So I took the lease, I signed the lease, and midway through me developing and building out the restaurant, um, I called um, my partner, my partner Dave, and I said, Hey, you want to, um, you think you want to do this? And, you know, he, he's West Indian. You want to do this restaurant with me? Because he always said, you know, when you find an opportunity, just call me. So I called him and Dave was like, I bet, let's do it. So then we got together and that's my partner in Chop House. And then what ended up happening was um, I gave another gentleman, you know, who does operations and who had a restaurant, um, Stratus, I gave him a walkthrough. Right. I was like, I'm doing this restaurant. Um, it's going to be this. You know, I'm. this is my first foray into, you know, New York City. I'm going to do like more like a fine down and upscale restaurant. And, and he was like, oh, that's dope. He was like, you know, you should consider, you know, flipping it and doing, you know, a different concept. I was like, yeah. He was like, yeah, let's do, um, you know, I, I was successful doing these other Asian brands. Let's do, you know, Asian meat steakhouse. And the Caribbean was going to be partly like a steakhouse anyway. So. Um, I was like, that sounds good. Um, let's figure it out. So, you know, we came up with the name, you know, it was always, the name was always going to be Brooklyn something. Right. So we was thinking about Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn, Brooklyn bridge, Brooklyn bridge restaurant. We was thinking about, um, bridge and butter. We had all these names and then we just said Brooklyn. And then it was like chop house, like chopsticks and chop steaks. Hmm. And that sounds like something that's been around for a long time. So we came up with that name, and then that's how Brooklyn Chop House was born. So, okay, I was going to say, in terms of, from a financial standpoint, obviously, this is Wall Street. Right. So we're talking about 
Are you le- leasing the spot? How much is it as opposed to had you done the IHOP deal, right? Was it more cash intensive or were more people needed to be involved to finance it? How, how did that work? So it was less cash intensive because the blessing for 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 me and, and, and my partner Dave is that we were kind of, you know, um, successful for what we've been doing for the last 10 years. So we were looking, I was actually looking for an investment opportunity. And the fact that it's a second generation space, uh, meaning that it was already built out as a restaurant. So I just had to come in and change the furniture, change the equipment, change the aesthetic, you know. So we just had to basically, to use a, a music term, I had to remix the restaurant, mm-hmm. right? So I, I put my ditty on it and changed up everything and um, made it more upscale, all the textures, all the furnitures, all the, um, you know, the the equipment, and we we changed it into our use, mm-hmm. right? So much less cash intensive by doing second generation space. And even if it was a IHOP, it probably might even be more or less because a lot of the equipment is the same from, from IHOP and Denny. They're yeah. similar. Yeah. You know, I probably would have went with all new equipment because that's how I like to start with, you know, a concept I believe in. So um, I would have started fresh instead of using old equipment. Did, did, you, did you have to sign like a five-year or 10-year lease? What was that process? Oh, yeah, we signed a 25-year 25 25 lease. 25-year lease. is unheard of because I talked them into, you know, well, actually, Denny's had a great lease. Let, let me not say that. And then I was able to negotiate a great lease myself. So, um, yeah, we, we have a long lease. So, all right, so now... The restaurant business is a lot harder than the franchise business because it's not set for you. You got to kind of set it. But you've learned it from. So did you take the principles that you learned from franchise and just duplicate it with the restaurant? I got to say it to you. Another great question. Yes. <laughs> so so, so that's how I was able to put systems in place because I already had, I was already trained with these systems, right? From um, food ordering, from all the vendors that, I'm, that I was dealing with, from how... And the vendors to order from, which is basically automated, right? So we use some of the same vendors. We use some of the same um, principles from a franchise. I, you know, use the, that's those same principles in Brooklyn Chop House from hiring, from um, operations, from scheduling, from all of those different things and all of those different tools that I had at my at my disposal from being at, I have except from, you know, obviously I don't sell pancakes, but, <laughs> but I use, you know, the, the knowledge that I got from all of the years of operating underneath these proven systems. I employed some of that, especially in back of the, the, the back end, like mm. the, um, the back end, like the financial, the, you know, the, you know, the bookkeeping, the, you know, all of those things. So, I already had, you know, systems in place from accountants. So talk about some of the stuff, like, all right, like um, food costs, right? Mm-hmm. Explain what food cost is and why food cost is so important. Oh, food cost is so important. So food costs and labor costs are your two highest controllables, your two highest controllable costs. So in any P&L, when you're looking at um, 100% or you're looking at, let's just say, $1, so... Typically, your food costs, you know, can range anywhere from 25% to 35% of that $1, right? So, and that's something you have to control, right? And then you have um, 
your labor costs, which can be also high 20s to mid 30s, which if you put the two together, that's anywhere from 55 to, you know, high 60s or 70 percent of every dollar is in those two controllable costs. Right. So food cost is extremely important because if you can't control the cost of your food, obviously it's going to shrink your margins. Mm -hmm. Right. You shrink your profit margins. So um, it's great to have like, for instance, back to um, the franchising. So they have um, we we do what we call like um, bulk purchasing. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's so many restaurants purchasing at the same time that it reduces and it could kind of stabilize, right? Um, you could negotiate your prices and stabilize your food costs, which is to your advantage because there's a, a lot of um, f like fluctuation in obviously produce and you know chicken and meats and things of that nature. So with having so much buying power, you're able to level that out and control it like pretty much to get the, um, the maximum um, out of your food cost, meaning to bring your food cost down because mm -hmm. the buying power is so much. So it's a little more challenging when you have your own concept because if you're not doing volume, you're not able to, you know, get the discount. Get, get that, yeah, get that discount of that buying power that a thousand restaurants are buying versus, you know, just a small, small group of restaurants. And so in the, in the franchise, we have what we call a co-op who goes in and negotiates <laughs> the pricing for us. And we're all part of that co-op. For the whole region. Oh, yeah. So, correct. For, for for the whole region. So, within the country, there might be, you know, 10 co-ops, mm -hmm. right? So, every region has their own co-op. So, for New York, for example, there'll be New York, New Jersey, Connecticut co-op, right? So, um, we'd go in, might be 100 restaurants, and we you know, we plan, right? We say, okay, we're going to do this special. Like this, we think this is going to work. Um, this is just, this is back to IHOP. Um, so the co-op is an important part of it, but you don't have that in uh, when you own your own restaurant, your own brand. So you have to do the best you can in negotiating your own prices and really watch the food costs because, you know, it's a small, The, the even though you could do large numbers, your profit is very small in restaurants so how, how do you manage it because this is interesting like when you're doing pancakes you can do a different variation of pancakes right you can but they're still pancakes or right. they're chocolate chip or you, you do something special with them but one of the things like when we go to Brooklyn Chop House the menu is so extensive right there's so many different types of food and so like one of the things we've heard especially in the restaurant business is keep the menu limited that way you can cut down on the food costs and have higher margins but you have such a wide variety how do y'all balance like having all that being an independent and keeping good profit margins. I'm about to drop a jewel. <laughs> Y'all gonna have to pay me for this one. Y'all have to come see me for this. You're gonna have to frequent the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, you gotta frequent the restaurant. You gotta frequent the restaurant. So we use a lot of the same um, things in different items. So we lose a lot of the same menu items in different dishes, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of how we do it. So if we're buying, you know, Bell and Evans organic chicken, we'll have on our chicken dishes or our chicken and rice or or um chicken saute chicken saute um um beijing chicken sweet and sour chicken chicken compound different um menus that we have 
we'd have the same item. So the items aren't that extensive, but we're able to create different. Yeah, we're able to create different um, likable dishes that or people for the one item off of that so like one the lobster item. you got the lobster so lobster we have lobster fried rice we have lobster saute we have a lobster spring rolls we have lobster um salt and pepper lobster we have ginger lobster <laughs> so yeah that's enough <laughs> <laughs> all are good by the way i think i've tried everything you just said pick up those gems ladies and gentlemen <laughs> he just dropped them <laughs> somebody order the lobster <laughs> <laughs> more lobster Let's talk about um, liquor license because that's right. something that a lot of people have. I've seen restaurants getting taken out because of liquor, like like they might lose their liquor license and then they're not making enough money. Mm-hmm. How much revenue, like percentage wise, comes from a liquor license, and how hard is it? What's the challenges in actually getting a liquor license and maintaining a liquor license? So I have quite a few of those, but um, it's it's um, in in the city that I operate in is not that challenging. You just have to qualify and you have to qualify in two ways. Your location has to qualify and you have to qualify. So um, obviously, you know, you couldn't have a license before and do like reckless things with it. Um, You got to be responsible. And then obviously you have to have um, the capital to build your restaurant because they want to know that you're actually, you can actually build a restaurant that you're applying for the liquor license for. And uh, the challenge is sometimes is that, you know, when you're applying for the license, you're actually building the restaurant at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're actually spending money while you apply for the license. The cost of the license is not a, um, a lot of money. It's only 4,500 per bar, right, in New York City. So that's, that's not um, hard, but finding a location that can be licensed is, can be a challenge because the, the liquor authority don't want too many licenses unless it's zoned differently. Mm. Um, they don't want too many licenses or too much alcohol being sold on the in same one, block. In one area. Right. Because unless it's, it's becomes, like Times Square, then it doesn't right. matter. Unless it's like a zone, a zone like a Times Square or... Um, like Bourbon Street. Yeah, or, or things like that. Then um, then it's different. Um, or like Hell's Kitchen has, has a different zone, but... Other places, and I'm assuming it's the quality of life, they don't want too many liquor licenses on one block. I believe it's like four might be the max or something like that. Um, I'm not sure, but your your location has to qualify. So it can't be too close. I think it's the 500-foot rule. Um, you got to be 500 feet away from a school, mm-hmm. um, a church, and other um, entities that, are in the um like a daycare center yeah things mm-hmm. like that you can't be like you can't walk out and then there's the nightclub or you can't walk out then there's you know things like that you're selling the liquor store so you know they try to um so so in that essence the actual location needs to qualify as well as you qualify when to get the liquor license when you, when you create a chop house Obviously, you got to have food costs, but there's also a part of it that you have to market to make sure that people know that it's there. Right. And so I'm wondering, was there a marketing budget or was it the power of the relationships that you had, you know, cultivated throughout your career that helps inside inside that marketing? So uh, it, it was a combination of both. It, it's it's, it's the, the, the power of social media, right? So just one person or a few people that um, 
influencers, tastemakers, um, people that just love the brand and, you know, um, and love what we do. Cause we fuse, you know, our, you know, culture, whether, you know, entertainment, music, food, fashion, we kind of fused it together to create Brooklyn Chop House. So when people get that experience, you know, they share it. And once they share that experience, people may say, even today we're getting a lot of people in Times Square, like we just came here to see a play and to go to Brooklyn Chop House. So we're getting, uh, after, after, you know, being open, the brand being open five years, now we're getting people from out of state that's coming in town that they heard about it or they heard someone celebrated there that was, um, you know, a significant, you know, um, person or celebrity or artist or athlete, you know, celebrated at the um, restaurant and they see the the, the social media because it's not really like the news. It's just social and people um, posting how much they enjoy their experience how much they enjoy the food. They're taking pictures of the food. And, you know, that's really has what has spread the word um, around it. And, and in the relationships, obviously, you know, help. You know, I come from a promotion promotion background. So I used to, I left this part of it. I used to throw parties as well, like one or two big parties a year. So, you know, I, I had a small, you know, network of people that came to support. But it's not just that. It's just the brand is standing on its own and you know the experience of when you know they come there are the the two most important things obviously the food people like the food but you know you want to have a good experience in a nice place yeah like i said you know they see me there probably at least once a week so oh yeah <laughs> i'm <see> doing <laughs> doing my promotional purposes so oh, let, let's you. ask you let me ask you this so um, you said the two biggest costs that you could control are food and labor. Yes. You talked about food. Let's talk about labor. Okay, so labor, um, you have to be able to control, to schedule correctly. Um, know your market, right? So um, I don't open for lunch, right? Lunch at one point prior to COVID was a big seg daytime part, a big segment of the business. But right now it's not as big in certain markets as it used to be because it's n the traffic isn't the same. The traffic changed. So people aren't working? Mm -hmm. People aren't working remote. as much. They're remote. Um, from the remote. office, maybe it's three and two, right? Or maybe it's all at the, um, maybe it's all at the office. So, I mean, sorry, all at home. So what, what happens is you have to know your, you know, traffic patterns. You have to know how to schedule, um, and that's a huge cost because obviously, you know, there's a lot of lot that goes into labor, and you know, New York New York City, um, you know, requires that, you know, you do it the right way. So, you know, we 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 pride ourselves on having quite a few employees that help us execute. And when you're busy, you need more employees. So, but when when you're not busy, there's you know some slow times. You have to know how to, you know. Control your schedule. What are some other costs that are associated with the business? Obviously, you said food and, and, and labor, but there's other costs that people probably aren't aware of if they're trying to get into the space that they probably should be aware of and prepare for if they're going to. Yeah, so I think knowing your location, you know, you heard the term location, location, location. Mm -hmm. Knowing the right location for the concept that you're doing, right? So, for instance, um, you might not want to open up subways 
in your neighborhood when everyone's at work during lunch, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. Subways is primarily, a sandwich is primarily a lunchtime item. So you might want to position your franchise or your brand if you, um, um, if you focus on lunch, you might want to put that near an office complex um, where, where people are at work, where people need to grab lunch, right? So it's all location, right? So I think that and, you know, obviously negotiating the deal and, you know, try not to have high rents, which is tough in certain markets. Um, that's a um, non-controllable cost because <laughs> that's a fixed cost, right? So you have fixed costs that you have to obviously be aware of. You know, from garbage to electric to, um, you know, rent and, you know, cleaning services and things that you must have as far as running a restaurant. Um, so you have the fixed costs and then you have things that are in your control that you must control else it hurts. Your bottom line. So you got the var variable cost and fixed yeah. cost. Yeah. Yeah. The variable Insur insurance you put in there too? Insurance would be a fixed, fixed cost because you can't you can't control right the insurance rates. I, I had this picture for you. I'm gonna show this to you, right? Because you said people visit. Look at the date. See the date? Hold on, let me see. March third, twenty twenty. Oh, wow, this is right before the pandemic. A week later, yeah. Brooklyn Chop House would close his doors. Right. <laughs> so I want to talk about that, man. Talk about well, March it was my birthday, so we went there. On, and this is the down by Wall Street before right. Times Square. So talk about that, the impact obviously that COVID had on you, and how you were able to leverage that in the new location in Times Square. So I mean, we were all impacted. Like every most in, most industries were impacted, especially the hospitality industry, the restaurants and hotels. Everything was just closed. It was just like it was over. So we all went home. We had to really think, and the word is pivot. We had to really figure out how to pivot from all of this, right? Because you could have sat down and just waited till everyone came back, which in in retrospect, it took a long time for it to get back to, it's still not normal, to get back to some normalcy, right? So we had to figure out how to pivot, and that's how you know our concept, Brooklyn Dumpling Shop, was born from pivoting. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing was we had to um, change our, um, back to labor. So we had to cut all the labor back, obviously, because we're not open, but we were allowed to do delivery. Mm. So our deliveries went up because we got, you know, we had some support. So a lot of people were coming to pick up. So we were doing pickup and deliveries. We were closed. We couldn't do any indoor dining. So our pickup and deliveries went through the roof. And then um, we started delivering food to the first responders, a lot of emergency rooms, because, you know, at that point, you know, there was a lot of people, a lot of loss of life and things were happening that, um, you know, we, we, we didn't know what was going to happen next, right? It was just like, oh, you touched this person, like you got, like it was a weird time. So once we started doing that, we ended up getting, you know, someone picked up the story and I think we got Hero Today the mag in the in sorry in the in one of the newspapers, and then all of a sudden, the food purveyors right, which were also in fact impacted, they closed because they don't have anyone to send food to, but the people that's doing delivery and takeout. Um, so their business changed, and 
they had a lot of product that they had to, you know, certain things have an expiration date, right? Mm -hmm. So vegetables and, you know, different things. So all of a sudden, we started getting boxes and loads of vegetables and food and produce because they saw that we were, you know, cooking things and just giving it away, right? So that was great. So the purveyors, you know, um, Voss Water, different companies just started sending us boxes and packages. Our dining room was filled with boxes of produce, vegetables, water, um, anything that we could you know, make. So we'd make all these dishes and pans mm -hmm. and we just bring them to police departments, um, hospital, every hospital in the city, I think we touched just out the kindness for our, we didn't want anything in, in, in return. We just knew at that point, it was, you know, people that were on the front lines didn't have to be in the front lines. They could have quit too, mm -hmm. right? So we just did something for, for them. And then um, when they started the open, um, the, the, the outside program where you could build the decks is when we built the decks and then from there, everyone, I guess it was cooped up too much. It was, it was looking like Paris outside. <laughs> like everybody came out. It was like a outdoor party, like every night. I remember I remember that yeah. that, that element. It was had outside. It was in the winter. They had like yeah, the heated yeah. lamps. Yeah, I had, I had winter. I had a cover. I had heat lamps. So for just about a whole year till 2021, we was outside. We was rocking outside. It was snowing and people were eating. The decks were full hmm. because it became like... I guess everyone's patterns changed again. It became a, a way of just getting outside. Getting outside. Speaking of your employees, we got to give Jaquan absolutely a, a lot dope, of love. Dope shout out. He yeah. uh, always holds us down every time. Even in Abu Dhabi, he was out there with you guys. Yeah. So Jaquan and I'm glad I was able to take him out there and show him, you know, the other side of other side of the world. But yeah, he he was with us from I guess after the fifth or sixth month of us opening. Um, Brooklyn Chop House, um, FIDI, in the financial district. Um, and it's great to see his growth. Um, he's been with me since then, since 2019. Um, so I had the opportunity to do a Brooklyn Chop House with the W in Abu Dhabi during Formula One. Real fly. Which was incredible. Um, bumped into you guys on the other <laughs> side of the. Not only did I bump into them, I was on the plane with them. That's, That's a fact. That. This is true. That's a fact. Going yeah. and coming back. Yeah. By, um, by the way, we were on the second floor. Of the <laughs> in case you don't know I, what that means. I, I, <laughs> you know, you know. If you know, you know. Separate entrance. Yeah, separate entrance. Whole separate entrance. You know? That's a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Marsha, shout out to her too. Yeah, shout out to Marsha, my she, events event manager. Event manager. She, she's she, holding it down. She, she's holding me down a few times. So let's talk yeah. about the most important part of a restaurant, the chef. Because nothing is, it doesn't matter the ambiance, the vibe, if the food isn't good. So, you know, I don't think people have a full appreciation of chefs because it's probably one of the hardest jobs because you don't even really live a real life. It, you're working in a restaurant from like, six o'clock to like two o'clock in the morning, five Real days tough. a week. It's like a night shift. You don't even get to, you don't have no nights. I mean, and weekends, what about yeah, weekends? weekends, weekends yeah. What about holidays? Yeah, exactly. Like, like the, the business is tough. I mean, um, I've been fortunate to layer all of my businesses with managers and you know, I'm to the point where I have a director of operations. So, you know, but in the beginning, I was in there like that because I had to watch. You know, you know, it was mostly what I had. I had to make that grow. So in the beginning, you you really sacrifice and put a lot of work in. But 
you know, going back to what you're saying about the the chefs, like they, you know, it's 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 a tough position, right? Um, to execute day in and day out. So, shout out to shout out to my chef. I can't, you know, I'm not going to tell your name because <laughs> people know that you know <laughs> the secret sauce. But shout out to my chef. You know, how do you, he holds he holds so, me so down. How do you, how do you and, find and then and then I replicate that, right? Because now my chef can't be in two places at another time. So now I train another chef. So, and then for Abu Dhabi, when we become permanent um, in the W Hotel, there's going to be another chef. And then I'm building one in Miami, which well, this chef is going to go down and spend like two months. So we're training another, another chef to hold hold down the latest restaurant while he goes. So it's just it takes time, though. Mm -hmm. just, I got to do it in steps. But when I get to Miami, he's going to be training so 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 it's not necessarily and i shout out to the chef because obviously it is the chef but yeah. it's the recipe because yeah. like because my whole thing is like if the chef isn't there anymore will the food still taste the same yeah because Don't of the recipe that because yeah, of the recipes, recipes. Yeah. so you got the chef teaching the, the sous chefs right and then they become chefs and then they teach so the recipe is the most important thing correct it's the recipes and this and and it's the chef too yeah. because it's the quality it's quality control Right, so it's quality control with the recipes, right? Because you could take the recipe and mess it up. So it's just quality control because there's always, you know, new people that come that we train. So it's about doing it consistently all of the time, right? Just like consistent um, service, right? It's, it's the consistent quality of the food that helps make everyone feel like every time I go there, the chicken saute tastes the same, the sauce tastes the same. So that's kind of key, you know, for anyone in the restaurant business to have that consistency. Because oftentimes I'm also the customer. I'm not only the business guy, I'm the customer, mm -hmm. right? So I, I do this, I go out, right? Like I'm, I'm on the re receiving end. So sometimes I have good service, sometimes I have bad service. Sometimes I have the, the places that I love the most, they might be a little off, but I love it so much I forgive them and I come back and then they get it together or I make a suggestion. Um, I don't think I ever wrote a bad review in my life, but I just, because I'm a restaurateur, I'll give my, you know, input or constructive criticism on how I feel about something that took place during that experience. So when you brought up expansion, you talked about seeing us in Abu Dhabi. That was fly. That was, that was fly. That was amazing. And obviously you just brought up Miami. But Times Square, when you had the, the financial district location, how did you know it was time to expand? Was there a number that you said, all right, if we hit this, we can grow? Because Times Square, when we're talking about prime location, it don't get more prime yeah, than, than Times Square in New York. And the fact that, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants there, but the fact that we know the owner of one, it's just yeah. like, yo, this is pretty cool, which is why you, like people go there because they know that there's a chance they might see you. So how did you know it was time to expand and grow into the probably the, the heart of New York City? So I, I kind of knew based on the reservations and people couldn't get reservations in the original one. That was one. So I really knew if I use this theory, right? If 10 people call me and, and say, oh, I can't book a reservation this time. I don't know everybody in, in, the, in, the, in the New York or in the world. That means hundreds of other people can't get it either, right? So I just use the theory that maybe there's a lot more people wanting to come 
all at the same time, meaning during the evenings on weekdays between like, you know, 6.30 and 10.30. And that's the time that we're mostly always, always booked. So I said, you, you know what? This When COVID hit, the the restaurant that was there in Times Square before they left, the, you know, the landlord used to have dinner at the um, other restaurant. And he said, hey, I got something for you guys. So um, we explored the opportunity and we said, you know what, this is a little scary. This is huge. It's a big undertaking. So, you know, he said, don't worry, we're going to take it in steps, right? This is what it is now, but this is what we'll do for now. I'm like, word? Okay. Let me, um, let, let's, let, let's sit and let's think about it. You know, we, we sat and we thought about it and we said, you know what, let's take a shot at it. Right. Because, um, now is the time because I don't think I can get that same opportunity now there because it's, I don't know if you want to say 70% back or 80% back. Now things have changed. So it's, it's about seizing the moment and everything is like the timing. Mm. The deal was right for that time. So we, so we took it on and, you know, we opened it and it became, you know, what it is now. And, you know, one of the largest black owned restaurants, I, I don't know, maybe in the country, uh, certainly I think in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're just grateful that, you know, we were able to get the prime location because now we get, you know, a diverse crowd, right? During, you know, pre-theater, um, post-theater, you know, we got a core crowd during, you know, core hours. And, you know, we have a lot of upset. We have a rooftop. We have a private um, restaurant, you know, two levels below, um, which we're, you know, which, which, which we're looking, we're thinking about doing membership. And then so we have an event space and a, a few event spaces in a way within the within us being a restaurant. Mm. So, you know, we looked at all of those possible opportunities and it all made sense because there's a few different revenue streams now in order for us to make it all make sense. So talk about what's next. Um, you said different revenue streams. So you got the rooftop and you got the dumpling thing. Yeah. Is expansion, is uh, it, it's cooking classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, expanding more on our sister brand, our fran franchise brand, Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. Um, but that's, you know, franchisees going from franchisee now to me, me and my partner being franchisor. So that's, you know, basically probably one of the biggest steps that I've taken. And, and also um, working on a restaurant in Miami, Brooklyn Chop House. Um, I think the, um, the, you know, that culture that, you know, the, the way Miami, you know, the lifestyle of Miami lends itself to a Brooklyn Chop House type restaurant. So we're gonna go there. And then from there, we're going to London and then more than likely Vegas. So those are next. And then Abu Dhabi too, huh? And, and Abu Dhabi, the license deal with us and the W Hotel should be done and we should be open again permanently for Formula One. Next year. Next this year. year. This year. This oh. year. Sorry. This year. <sighs> we should have our own little section. Yeah. So <laughs> before we so you we'll do a official grand moment. That was like the pop up grand open. Now we're gonna do the official grand So open. a lot of restaurants Service restaurants and nightclubs, yeah. Um, especially 
like up here, there's a, there was this, like this trip where a lot of restaurants open and they close. And I used to notice a cycle where a restaurant would open and they would struggle. And I always knew that they was just about to go out of business when they start throwing parties. Right, that's true. Because then the parties is like life support. It gives right. them it gives them energy. Correct. And it got them back on their feet. And then what happened? There was a stabbing, a fight, and they lost their liquor license, and mm. then they went out of business. Right. So, but like Tao, they throw parties, right? And they haven't had any issue. So that we know about. That we know about. Okay. Correct. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I've had any issues. So, what's your thoughts? What's your thoughts on? Because I could see how appealing it could be, but it's also dangerous as well. Right. I would never do it. You would never do it ever. Why? Because I own a club before. So, oh, you know, so you know you know what comes with yeah, that. Of course, I had a club in in Brooklyn, right? So and I had a club in Brooklyn. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, upset. So I I did that part already. So for me, it's about the growth. It's for me, it's about going into real estate, right? So I have a few real estate developments I'm working on. One specifically in Newark, 120 units that you know I'm passionate about, and you know it's like a legacy play for me. So I'm working on that. So the transition from you know, like leasing to owning, um, you know, I own other properties, but just on a commercial side is something that I want to, you know, pr progress into. So that's the natural progression, not doing, um, I'd rather give another restaurant tour the opportunity to run what I had. If it, you know, I haven't, you know, thank God I haven't had this, um, happened to me where I had to give the restaurant to someone else, but I'd rather give it to another restaurateur and give them the opportunity than to turn it into a, a nightclub. And, and, and nothing against nightclubs because we all go there and we all celebrate. Just for me, you know, that business model is just not for me because of the high liability and of probability of possible things, you know, happening and you know we knock on wood and you know pray nothing happened because anything can happen anywhere no one is immune to things happening because it's the, the general public but we want everyone to have a great time eat dinner you know pre-game have some drinks and then go to the club or the <laughs> strip club or the turn up wherever it, wherever it is the ballerina. your heart's desire <laughs> you know again nothing wrong with them it's just we're just gonna keep it about the food the culture, the experience, and having a good time at dinner or lunch or brunch. There you have it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, any, uh, what's, the, what's the socials, the website? How can it, what's the oh, address, all that stuff? Oh, definitely. Um, it's at Don Pool Music is, you know, my music, my, my, um, my IG, my Instagram, also at Brooklyn Chop House. Um, if you want to, you know, follow, please follow. No, not what you want to. Please follow at Dumpling Music, <laughs> at Brooklyn Chop House, at Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. Those are the three main tags that, you know, I would like, you know, people to follow to see, you know, everything that's going on. And, you know, if you have any, you know, desire to open your own business, um, we have franchise opportunities and possible license deals you know, for Brooklyn Chop House. But again, we're just going to keep it in, you know, control and in a few markets. Yeah, yeah and you might see us. You definitely probably will see us at some point if you go to Brooklyn Chop House in Times Square. That is the restaurant that 
I frequent the most. I'm there you, very, very often. Whenever I'm in the city, I always stop through Brooklyn Chop House. I get the duck. That's my favorite. Uh, Peking duck. Peking uh, duck with the with the pancakes <laughs> things. Yeah, I'm about pancakes, to yeah, 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 pump sauce. Yeah, yeah. Chicken satire. That's my chicken vibe. Satire, yeah. We got we got all that. We got something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. This chicken's incredible. The salmon we had the other night. A uh, salmon. That was new. That's and new. the lychee martini you guys got. You guys make a good lychee martini. That's my favorite drink. Oh, thanks. And, and, and I just want to say organically that I appreciate that seeing you guys there. This is not, <laughs> yeah, like a, it's nah, not nah. Like set up. We bump into each other even yeah. in my restaurant outside the restaurant. So thank you because organically I'll just see you guys just eat having yeah. some heat real quick. So yeah. thanks for coming. Nah, nah, yeah. And if you're in the New York area. You should also visit. Tell me why I sent you. <laughs> Make sure you get your assets right. <laughs> not acquire too many liabilities. Matter of fact, when this is airing inside the Brooklyn Chop House, tag us. Let us know. Oh, they got to show this all the Oh, this is going to be on blast. <laughs> Turn the volume down. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There That's you go. A fact. That's a fact. Troy, how's keeping yeah, Shout out to everybody on EYLUniversity.com. Shout out to all our earners. Shout out to everybody supporting the merch. And everybody out there that is telling a friend to tell a friend about what's happening here at EYL. Well, I, we couldn't do it without y'all, so love is love. I need a hoodie before I leave. Got That's you. Got you. Easy. Got you. Man, love Got is love, you. man. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.